Well, that drama kind of pointed out all the different options in front of us and how they can be overwhelming. And I want to make sure you can recall your own personal experience with that kind of thing. So I want to, I want to try something with you. Uh, I want to ask you to guess how many varieties of something you might find at your local supermarket. Like Crest Toothpaste. Uh, let's put that up on the screen. How many varieties of Crest Toothpaste would you say are at the supermarket or uh, at the store you go to right now? You know, you got Crest Clean and Fresh and you've got Crest Sensitivity. How many different varieties? Tell somebody next to you. Would you do that? You ready? There are 27 different varieties of Crest toothpaste. All right, let's try another one. Let's try another one. Campbell's soup. Campbell's soup. How many varieties of Campbell's condensed soup are on the market? Tell somebody next to you what you think. What's your guess? All right, let's try this. Uh, how many of you said 25 or under? A number 25 or under? Okay. How many of you said between 25 and 50? 25 and 50? Okay. Uh, 50 and 75? Uh, uh, 75 and 100, anybody see? Over 100 varieties of Campbell soup. Okay, let's try this one. How many different sizes of Tropicana Pure Premium Orange Juice can you choose from? We're talking sizes of bottles now. How many different sizes? Tell the person next to you. The number is eight, eight, from eight ounces to 128 ounces. And then let's just do one more, Cheerios, Cheerios. How many different varieties of Cheerios are available at your store? Uh, count them off, we'll put them up on the screen right now. Original, we got original, Honey Nut, Honey Nut Medley Crunch, Animal Cinnamon, Banana Nut, uh, Frosted Chocolate, Multigrain, Multigrain Peanut Butter, Dulce de Leche. <laughs> And cinnamon burst, that is 11, 11 different varieties of my least favorite cereal, let's be honest. Um, I say this to say, I say this to say, Americans are faced with far more choices than we have ever been faced with before. And here's the thing, we think that we like it. Uh, I read a New York Times article recently called The Choice Explosion. And it, and it said that after a few years ago, a researcher asked 100 American students and actually 100 students from Japan, college students, to take a piece of paper and on one side write down the decisions in life that they would like to make for themselves. And then on the other side, write the decisions that they would like somebody else to make for them. All right, the American students filled up the first side of the paper with decisions they want to make for themselves. Where to live, what job to take, things like that. Plenty of things to fill their first side. And for Americans, the other side was almost blank. Uh, the only decision they commonly wanted to hand off was when I die, which if you think about it, might not even really be a decision you get to make at all. But the Japanese students filled up the backside of the paper with things they wanted other people to decide for them, like what I wear, what time I wake up, what I do at my job. The American students wanted choice in four times more things than the Japanese students. So the author of the article went on to say, this is a uniquely American thing, our deep desire for choice in every area. 
And he said, Americans are experiencing a choice explosion right now. We have more choices over anything in our lives than any culture in human history. We can choose between a broader array of foods, media sources, lifestyles, identities. And he says, this is a positive trend, but it's becoming incredibly important that we learn to decide well. As our choices increase, it becomes incredibly important that we learn to decide well, and that is why we're doing this series. Not to help you know which toothpaste to pick or which box of Cheerios, or as you saw in the drama, which ways route you're gonna take to get to work or what streaming app you're gonna choose, but because there are far more important decisions that you make every day that affect you and affect your family and your kids and the people around you. The significant decisions really matter, and you have more choices now than anyone your age, whatever age you are, you have more choices now than anyone else your age has had at any point in history, and it's become incredibly important that you choose well. The big choices, the life-changing ones, the impactful ones. What do I mean by big choices? Choices like, what will you do with the diminishing free time that you have? How are you gonna spend it? What will you do when you're invited to participate in something that challenges your moral convictions? How are you gonna respond when your teenager comes home and tells you that they're gay? Choices like how you will live when you make a bad choice and everything in you tells you you should hide that from everyone else so that they don't know. Can I tell you, for me, it's not which can of soup to buy that I need help with. A lot of what I need help with is what to do when dot, dot, dot. Because let's face it, we all look around at people who have made bad choices and we think, I would never do that. I would never choose that. And what we don't realize is that someone is looking at our bad choices saying the exact same thing. What if the Bible gives us some direction on what to do when? What if the Bible gives us direction on how to be better decision makers? Now, as I say that, I just want to recognize something happened in this room the minute that I mentioned the Bible giving us direction with our choices. Some of you went, exactly, that is my problem with church. And that's my problem with the Bible. It's a book of rules. It's black and white. It's a book telling you exactly how to live. It is the backside of that sheet. This series, Choose This, Not That, it's gonna be Chris and the teaching team just reading us a list of rules and I'm an American, I'll make my own choices, thank you. And I need to tell you, that is not what this series is gonna be and that's not what the Bible is. Making decisions is not as simple as what does the Bible say? Oh, go do that, I, I wish it was that simple. This is gonna be a series on discernment. Would you say that word with me? I wanna make sure we're all hearing it today. Let's say it together discernment. I was thinking about it. Um, I, I don't know if we quite understand what that word means, discernment. We, we, we use it a lot in this world, but I think we just assume it means, yeah, making good decisions. Discernment is not just about good decisions. Discernment is about making good decisions when things are not easy to decide. When it's easy, you don't need discernment. Discernment is when you take things that are complicated and you find a way to understand it a little bit more clearly before you make a tough decision. And, and yes, while the basis or the foundation of this series is the Bible, which is, which is true of every series we do here, 
You are not going to hear me say, us say, the Bible is clear. You have to decide this when X, Y, Z happens because it's just not true. Often it is not clear. Now, let me time out. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for 28 years now. I've devoted my entire adult life to helping people be uh, clearer with the Bible. To make the Bible clearer for people is probably a better way to say it. One of the greatest things anybody ever says to me is when somebody comes up and says, you made that so clear. You helped me understand something in the Bible I never understood before. And even as someone who is so committed to that, I need to tell you, sometimes the Bible is not clear. Sometimes the parts you think are most clear are not as clear as you think. And your job as a Jesus follower when it comes to making decisions is more complicated than listening to me interpret the Bible for you and just doing what I say. What is your job? You ready? Here we go. Your job as a Christian is to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you as we read the Bible so you can discern what you are going to do. As Christians, we believe in the Holy Spirit in you when you give your life to Christ. You are every day interacting with and responding to the Holy Spirit. And and this is a crazy thought. In fact, this is going to drive some of you nuts who are wired to have things orderly and black and white and consistent. This is crazy, but is it possible that two believers could be faced with identical situations, exactly identical in every way. And each one of those believers, torn between decision A or decision B, is it possible that the Holy Spirit would lead each of them differently? Lead one to decide A while the other one is led to decide B? Is that possible? Of course it is. And and why? Maybe because the Holy Spirit knows that this person can pull off A better while the other one can pull off B. Maybe because the Holy Spirit knows that the the, the people that those decisions make might need A on one side more than the other person's people who need B. Maybe because the Holy Spirit knows what's coming in one of those people's life in a week or a month or a year and knows that A or B is is the better choice in light of what's coming down the road. Why, Why am I saying all of this? Because decisions are complicated, and we're not going to do a series pretending that they're simple. Choose this, not that is not going to tell you what to choose nearly as much as it's going to teach you some things or tools from the Bible to use as you discern. And as much as most of those tools start next week, I'm going to show you one today. I'm going to teach you one of those tools today as well as well as an underlying principle for discernment, a principle that helps with all of this, and we find it in the book of Daniel. Uh, I will tell you, I have made a lot of bad decisions in my life, and I have made some good ones, and when I have made good ones, it is usually because of this underlying principle that I first learned reading the story of Daniel. So I'm gonna take a few minutes with you, show it to you in Daniel, and then I'm gonna give you this first tool to use for discernment, all right? Now, real quick, some backstory. Uh, This man, Daniel, lived in Jerusalem, and and the king of Babylon, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, he had just raided Jerusalem uh, the first time and a number of times he did this. And during this conquest, the people that were not killed in the raids, Nebuchadnezzar took back with him to Babylon for exile. Uh, As you can imagine, this is devastating to people to have so many people killed and captured. 
Well, the story of Daniel picks up with that same king who killed all these people, brought all these people back to captivity, picks up with that king ordering his chief of court officials to select the cream of the crop of the captives to come under his service and be trained to go to work for him. And guess who one of them was? Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar wants these select people to be trained for three long years so that he can determine which ones would qualify to serve in his palace, to become his servants. And the thought is, after three years of training, he's going to go in and pick the best of the best. Now, here's the deal. The way the king set this up, in addition to the training they were going to receive, the young captive men were to be given a certain amount of food and wine from the king's table every single day. I just want to make sure you get that. He was going to give them what was left from his very own table, which is probably pretty good stuff. These are going to be future leaders in the kingdom. Why not give them a taste of the good life right now, even start to build some loyalty to him right now? And that is where we jump in at chapter 1, Verse eight, take a look, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with this royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, we're gonna keep reading, but before we do, in case some of you are asking, since when does eating food defile you? What's that all about? Well, there are two reasons that a Jewish person in the Old Testament might not eat something that is offered to them. Okay, one, is it could have been a type of food that God had commanded them not to eat. Uh, the Old Testament has plenty of examples of food they can't eat, otherwise they would be considered polluted or spiritually corrupted. And, and then the second reason might be that the food had been sacrificed to some sort of idol that they didn't believe in. And that would have been equally corrupting for Daniel to eat. And we're not sure why he says no, which of those reasons, but he does. And the story continues. Take a look. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. Now, let's talk about what's happened here. Daniel is a person who's having to use discernment and make a tough choice. Remember, discernment is about making a good choice about something that is not easy to decide. Why, why do I think this might not have been easy to decide? Why is this one not a slam dunk? Let, let me give you some reasons, all right? The first one, Daniel was in captivity being given a chance at a brighter future. Think about that for a second. This is much brighter than the rest of his people who are in captivity, what they're gonna have. For him and the other guys selected to undergo this training, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Everybody else is in a rough exile. He and his friends are starting to see they may actually be on easy street. But if Daniel didn't eat the food and drink the wine, 
he could have been put back in with the regular population. He might have to kiss that future goodbye. He was risking his big chance. Daniel risked the bright future. Okay, just being honest, whether or not to eat the king's food was going to be a hard choice. Here's a second reason that might not have been easy. This was good food to be passing up. As much as some of this might have been considered off limits by God, we're not talking about stuff that tasted bad, right? This is the food that the king ate. It was some of the best food in the land. Look at verse 16 again. We'll put this back up. It says, the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Choice food is hard to pass up. Do me a favor. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them where you go to get your favorite choice food. Would you just tell them what that is? All right, apparently, apparently, I mentioned this once in a while, but I grew up in Chicago. Have I said that before around here? Just kidding, I know I say it far too much. And when I go back to Chicago, you guys, I do nothing but eat choice food. Gino's East, Hang Wing, Italian beef sandwiches. Um, I got to go back last summer. I had choice food every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The best apple pancakes, the best egg rolls, the best everything. I, I don't know about you. I mean, can, can, can you just smell that food is going to be good even before you taste it? Can you imagine Daniel smelling the good food that everyone else in captivity that's, that's being trained is having? And what's even bigger to me, not only Daniel, Daniel not only turned down the king's stuff that was off limits, he didn't ask for comparable stuff that fit within Israel's dietary laws. So just think about this. Instead of having the king's pepperoni pizza, which is made with pork, he could have asked for a plain cheese pizza, please. And all he asked for were vegetables and water? I mean, Daniel was not only risking a bright future, he was turning down a delicious now. Get that, Daniel turned down a delicious now. Would you choose that? All right, third reason I think this was hard, aside from the good things that Daniel was gonna get, you know, if he went with this, and he, he also seemed to be walking closer and closer to the edge of some dangerous things. Uh, we know from reading later in the book of Daniel that, that King Nebuchadnezzar is not exactly a pacifist. When something doesn't go his way, even for what seems to be insignificant reasons, he orders people to be killed. Clearly had some anger management issues. Every time he got angry, his response was to issue a decree to have those executed who should have known better. Daniel risked his personal safety. All right, is it just me? Or would you find it easy to decide this with being in that situation? I think many of us would just eat whatever is put in front of us if it meant being safe. This was a dangerous decision Daniel was making. All right, one more. And not only was this risky for Daniel, but also for the person who was giving him the food. Take a look at verse 10 again. It says, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And, and what I see here is Daniel risked his friendship, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but he risked his friend's safety. By making this decision, Daniel was not only risking his own life, but the life of this official. Now, most of us would say, all right, maybe God is calling me to do something dangerous to me, but not the people around me. God doesn't do that. I better eat the food. 
Can you see how difficult a choice this would have been? He's been given a bright hope, a future, a light at the end of the tunnel. He can watch the other people eat as the drool is building up in his mouth. He's risking his own life over whether or not he's going to eat this. And not only that, he's potentially risking the life of another innocent bystander. And get this, this is an official high up who he could say God put in his life for a moment like this. Let me tell you, I don't know what I would do. If I were Daniel, I would start to rationalize. I would start to see my situation as an excuse for why I need to eat the food. There's no choice. I would see myself as an exception to God's rule. So how did Daniel discern the right decision in this moment? Was it as simple as I will always obey? It was not that simple. Because his obedience might have meant his death, other people's death. What was the principle he applied that helped him have discernment? Okay, before I show you this underlying principle, let me bring this back to you right now. You are likely facing a tough decision in some area of your life, an important one. It might be your parenting, might be your career, this might be with someone you're dating, it might be in your marriage, it might be with your money. And like Daniel, you can think of four good reasons this decision you have to make is not that easy. It's not black and white. It's not simple. Let me show you what Daniel did because I think you can apply this thing. How did Daniel make this decision? Verse 8, where the story first started. First verse I showed you. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel resolved. If you look at the Hebrew that's been translated into resolved in, in, in our Bibles, you'll see the word carries with it this connotation of paid attention to, Daniel paid attention to, or that Daniel directed his mind toward. What, what that really means is Daniel made a choice and then he paid attention to that choice. He fixed his thoughts on not eating the food. What that all really means is Daniel pre-made a commitment to be obedient to God on this matter. Resolved means he pre-made a commitment. It was as if Daniel stopped and he thought, I got a choice here, what should I do? And he said to himself and to God, wait a second, I decided a long time ago that I would not eat food that defiles me. This decision has been made, now I just have to follow through with it. See, by the time the food was put in front of Daniel, his decision had already been made. And here we see this underlying principle for discernment. When I am confronted with a tough decision I have to make, often, and I'll say often, I'm not going to say always because I'm not that absolute, but often, most of the time, my decision is way easier when I resolved a long time ago that I do this, that I choose this. When I'm confronted with a dilemma, often it's not even a dilemma because the decision has already been made. I pre-made a commitment on this. Um, let, me, let me just share a story here that illustrates what I'm talking about, and I'll just admit right away, this is the dumbest story in the world, okay? This past January, uh, Andrea celebrated her 50th birthday. You don't mind me saying that, right? Uh, okay. And uh, uh, should have asked first. And uh, uh, she decided... Uh, she's good with it. And she decided, uh, we decided together, let's go to Mexico to celebrate your birthday. And uh, we went down to Puerto Vallarta. And, 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 and I'll tell you, every time we go on vacation, we overpack. 
Uh, can you relate to that at all? We bring far too, I'm, like, I'm looking at you like look at the person, like your spouse next to you when I say overpack. Uh, we bring far too many things. We bring too many clothes. Uh, we bring too many supplies. And a lot of times they're things that we never even use. Uh, can you relate to overpacking? I think so. And um, what we do is we find ourselves lugging all these things all over the place from airport to taxi, uh, taxi to hotel. If we stay at a second hotel, we got to do it all over again. And so we pre-decided months in advance, we are going to commit to bringing a carry-on bag only. No big suitcases, no checked luggage. If it doesn't fit in our carry-on, it's not coming. You guys, we watched YouTube videos on how to pack lightly. <laughs> we made lists of what to bring, what not to bring. And then it came to the day before we left. And we were loading up our suitcases. And we said, wait a second. Um, I know that I'm only supposed to bring like three shirts, but what if something happens to one of those shirts and I'm left with two shirts for most of our days in Vallarta? What will I do? Wait a second. I know that I'm only bringing one swimsuit, but, but there is nothing worse than having to put on a swimsuit that was wet from earlier in the day. Maybe I ought to bring two suits. Wait a second. I know we said that we would just buy sunscreen there, but that's going to be $2 more than the sunscreen we could buy at Walgreens right here before we go. Let's just bring our own. But then, as we'd start to make things very complicated, we would have a moment of clarity. No, we already decided. We pre-made a commitment to each other, to ourselves, to God in heaven that we are only bringing carry-ons. <laughs> and that resolve made the rest of our decisions easier. And by the way, you guys, it was great. I've never felt more free on a vacation than when I had less junk with me. Now, that is an insignificant, low-stakes story about something that does not even matter. But I do that in areas of my life that are far more important. And, and you will make better choices when you have some things that you have resolved to do. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a theologian in early America. We're talking 1700s. Uh, for you Hamilton fans, Aaron Burr was one of his grandkids. And uh, he was a theologian, he was a preacher, he was a revivalist. And one thing he did that a lot of other young men in the 1700s did too, he drew up a list of resolutions. These are things that he resolved. And he had 70 resolutions he came up with. These are things he pre-decided Ahead of time, he pre-made a commitment on these 70 things. Here's a few of them. Take a look. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved never to do anything which if I should see it in another, I should count a just occasion to despise him for or think any way the more meanly of him. Resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Here's two of my favorites. Resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved second, that whether others do or not, I will. When you resolve, you pre-decide what you will do when, dot, 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 faced with a difficult choice. And this Underlying principle, resolved, can make all the difference with your discernment, with your choices. In the next six weeks, we're going to help you come to some things that you can resolve. You can pre-make your commitment to so that when you are faced with some decisions, you can say what Daniel said. You could say, 
I already decided this long ago. I made the choice way back that when X happens, I will Y. I chose this, not that, which means today I can choose this, not that, because I'm just moving forward with the decision that I already made. Now, I said that I was going to give you this underlying principle. There it is. But I also said I'm going to give you the first tool for discernment. So let me do that. And I am thrilled that this is the first week because this is the most important one. You ready? Jesus. Thank you for coming. We'll see you guys next week. No, no, no. There's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, let me explain this one a little bit. When, when I am making a decision, when you are making a decision, the most important thing that should play into your discernment is Jesus. I want to make a Jesus-centric choice. So here's a good one. Resolved, I will make a Jesus-centric choice whenever given the chance. I resolve to make a Jesus-centric choice whenever given the chance. Let me read you one more passage today. This is Colossians 1. Verse 15 says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He's before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. Paul writes, when you are discerning your life philosophy, when you're trying to figure out what drives you, what helps you make decisions, choose Jesus over everything. Paul is writing to believers here, by the way, who've been mixing other gods and other philosophies in with their Christianity. And, and what's happening? It's confusing things in their lives. It's muddling things because some of those things are conflicting with Jesus. And because of that, their choices are not easy. And Paul says, Jesus is God. He's first. He's over all creation. He's over whatever power, whatever ruler, whatever authority is over you. He's the head of the body. He's the beginning. It all starts with him. And look at this last line. In everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. And Paul's saying, I know that you are going to be faced with many difficult choices. Some of you are being faced with them right now. And here's one thing you can resolve. You can pre-decide ahead of time. I will choose Jesus over everything. I will put him first. So a lot of questions. What does that mean? How do I put him first? Jesus said a lot of things. He did a lot of things. Which Jesus things do I apply in any given situation? And that is what the next six weeks are for. Teaching you some tools based on Jesus that you can use to resolve in you or tools that you can resolve to use in your discernment with the Holy Spirit. I'm excited. I cannot wait to go through those with you. For now, what do you need to resolve today? I want to challenge you to do something that I rarely challenge you to do in the middle of a service. Get out your phone. Get out your phone right now and open up whatever app you use to take a note. Uh, I'm an Android user. What, what that means when I want to take a note, I tend to use Google Keep. If you're an Apple user, you probably use, uh, what do you use, Notes? iPhone users use Notes. Uh, maybe you use a different app, Evernote, something like that. Get out your phone. Uh, don't check your text messages that came in during the service. What would it be for today in the next six weeks of this series, what would it be for you to do what Jonathan Edwards 
and make a list of the things that you resolve. Over the next six weeks, you're making a list yourself, your own Jonathan Edwards list, resolutions, things that you pre-make a commitment to. By the, by the way, what I didn't tell you, Jonathan Edwards made 5,000 on his list. 5,000. Most of them were unkeepable, so he narrowed them down to 70. What if you started a list of what you're going to pre-decide? Each week, when we're done with the service, you could add one or two that you felt resonate with you in what we're talking about. All right, I'll give you two right now to start your list. You ready? Resolved? I will make the Jesus-centric choice whenever possible. I'll give you that one. That's one of mine. The second one, resolved, I will be here each week of this series or watch online if I miss. And that way, when something gets in your way to coming on Sunday, you can say, I already committed to myself. I decided that I'm going to get really good at discernment by the end of May. I am not missing church and what God has for me. All right, we're going to leave this up on the screen as we leave, so, so you don't have to get it all down right now. But would you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, I think of what it must be like to try to make decisions by ourselves without you. God, I know what it's like where I run from friend to friend and I look for advice from mentors and coaches and, I, and those are all good things. But God, to know that you have put your Holy Spirit in us to help us discern, what a wonderful gift. And God, I am excited that you've given us the Bible to have the Holy Spirit wrestle it through us and, and, and massage it into us and let it marinate in us. And, and I'm excited for how you're going to give us discernment tools over the next six weeks. Lord, as we do that, would you lead us in all of this? I pray for the person today who is faced with a very difficult decision. I pray for the person who doesn't know it yet, but they're going to get faced with one in a week. And I just ask God that you would remind them to make the Jesus-centric choice. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.